Kate Morthland, and thank you for joining us on The Council Covers It, a podcast created by the Illinois Life and Health Insurance Council. Insurance is paramount to the health and wellness of Illinois employers, citizens, and families alike. While critical, the world of insurance can also be daunting and difficult to comprehend. We seek to create understanding by wading through that confusion presented with life and health insurance policies and topics in Illinois. Join us as we dive into some of the state's most pressing insurance issues on The Council Covers It. And welcome to another episode of The Council Covers It. It's a podcast dedicated to all things insurance explained in a simple and digestible way. I'm your host, Kate Morthland, and this episode is nothing to smile about. Yes, today we are talking about something called the dental loss ratio. And to help us explain this concept, we have Cindy Goff. So Cindy Goff is the Vice President of Supplemental Benefits in Group Insurance at the American Council of Life insurance insurers, also known as ACLI, where she develops and implements state and federal public policy positions and strategies to ensure access to innovative and financial protection products. She's also served as the director of health policy for AFLAC, the vice president of product policy at AHIP, and policy and legislative director for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota and Emblem Health in New York. Cindy, how are you today? I'm terrific. Thanks for having me. Well, I am smiling because you are here, but I am not smiling for the subject. So (laughs) (laughs) I am happy to have you on. But today, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about something called dental loss ratio. Now, a dental loss ratio, or often called a DLR, isn't something that consumers have a lot of experience with. Unlike a medical loss ratio, which you've heard before, we've seen policies and policy initiatives pop up in Illinois this legislative session that would establish a dental loss ratio, much like a medical loss ratio. And one thing we know in insurance, and hopefully our listeners can infer by the complexity of the issues covered during this podcast, is that insurance products differ wildly. And applying a blanket solution that is a one-size-fits-all to affordability and access can actually create some incredibly harmful impacts to the market and ability to sell certain products. So certain solutions that can work for one product when applied to a different product could actually limit access to consumers who use these products. So let's break this all down, Cindy, and I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So I guess to lay a foundation, what is a medical loss ratio and what plans must follow this medical loss ratio? So loss ratios have been in existence for quite a long time and insurance regulators um, often use them as part of their toolkit when they're reviewing rates, insurance rates to make sure that the rates are are fair and accurate. Basically a loss ratio is the percentage of each premium dollar that has to be spent on direct care versus the amount that's allowed to be spent on administrative costs. Um, the, the direct care usually includes, um, you know, claims from the providers. It includes uh, certain quality improvement activities, that sort of thing. And then the admin is basically everything else. So it's it's all of the systems to process the claims. It's it's customer service. It's provider service. 
It's um, paying agents and brokers for marketing the products. Um, it's taxes and assessments. There's all kinds of things that, that go into the administrative side. What When the Affordable Care Act was passed, they uh, implemented a requirement that all medical insurance that meets Affordable Care Act requirements has to have a loss ratio of 80% for small group and individual and 85% for large group. And what that means is that 80% of each premium dollar has to be spent on direct care. And then the other 20% or 15% in the case of large group is what's left over for all of the administrative costs. So um, right now, that is only applicable to medical insurance, that those levels of, of loss ratio. There are other types of loss ratio um, that are in certain state laws that are applicable to other types of insurance, especially um, supplemental benefits, for example, um, you know, HIPAA accepted benefits, that kind of thing. But those are usually much, much lower. And the reason that that meaning that that there's a much higher percentage that's allowed for administrative expenses. And the reason for that is really because um, uh, is because those pr the premiums for those products are so very low. And um, and so there's uh, there really is not a lot of room on the administrative side to do all of the things that you need to administer the products if the loss ratio is too high. There was a decision made when the ACA was passed not to impose these high loss ratios on dental, specifically for the reason that I just talked about, that, that pre dental premiums are so much lower than medical. And so um, now there are discussions going on in states. Uh, there was a ballot initiative passed in Massachusetts, for example, last year that basically imposes these ACA-like loss ratio levels on dental. And now there are discussions in many other states, and I know there's a discussion beginning in Illinois uh, about that very same topic of taking those loss ratio levels that were meant for medical insurance and applying them to dental. And as, as you will hear during our conversation, um, we have a lot of very grave concerns about that. And so we're really hoping that we can uh, drum up some support from the, the, especially from the consumers that are going to be negatively impacted to, to try to fight back those, those proposals. Well, that's a, that's an excellent point, Cindy. So a dental loss ratio, I know you kind of hit on this a little bit, but say you're a consumer and you hear this kind of, um, you know, whether on the news or, or hearing it on, you know, NPR, the radio, what is a dental loss ratio for just a blanket explanation? So it's basically the same thing as a medical loss ratio, except a applied to dental insurance. Okay. Um, and so, for example, in, in, uh, in the current discussions that are going on, the proposals would say, we believe that, that a loss ratio of 80 to 85% uh, should be applied to dental insurance, just like it is for medical insurance right now. So it's really the same thing. It's just that because they want to apply it to dental, it's called a dental loss ratio instead. Cool. Thank you so much for that clarification. So basically, uh, they they want to create that same mandate. This pot of funding should go here. This pot of funding should go here. My next question for you is, while the idea seem, uh, is understandable, dental and medical policies 
are incredibly different. So can you talk about some of the differences between those two? Sure. So I think that the the most obvious difference is uh, the the cost. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And and there are reasons for the differences in those costs that I'll get into in just a moment. But uh, so, for example, in Illinois, currently, the average monthly premium that someone pays for medical insurance is around five hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's based on, you know, sort of like a silver plan on the exchange for a forty year old. I mean, that's an you know there there's a lot of of variation in there, but that's pretty much the average. So five hundred and fifty dollars a month. So that would leave the medical insurer about a hundred dollars a month out of that five hundred and fifty dollars can be used on administrative expenses. Now, in um, uh, in uh, Illinois, it's about $40 a month for insurance, for dental insurance. Okay. And so you're left with about $7 uh, that you, you, per month. But you, but really with, with very similar administrative requirements because dental is, um, you know, there are a lot of uh, administrative functions that are the same as medical. You mm-hmm. have networks that you have to manage. You know, you you have claims that you need to process. You have uh, customer service. You know that that you need to be able to answer questions. You need to be able to answer questions from dentists. You know about what uh, you know. They they often call to find out what will and won't be covered. So you have to have that ability. Plus, dental is very um, very much um, presented to people by agents and brokers. It's not, that's not as much the case anymore in the medical side because of the exchanges and the fact that the ACA has kind of changed how people access health insurance. But on the dental side, employers and individuals really rely on agents and brokers to bring them information about what's available to them and to help them make the right choice of what kind of dental insurance will work for them. And then also to help them, uh, you know, agents and brokers very much help service those products as well once they've been they've been sold. And so um, having $7 a month to do all of the administration, all of the compliance work, and um, be able to compensate agents and brokers for the work that they do to help service these products is really, um, really not doable, especially for the for individual products and small group uh, products, which are more expensive to administer than the larger group products. So if I could just walk through your example, because that's fascinating to me. You have medical, which if there is a, the medical loss ratio, you have $100 going to all of the administrative costs. If you do the same to these dental policies with how little that's paid from the consumer already, you only get less than $10 to do all of the administrative costs a medical plan has to do. Is am I right? Am I following you right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I think that what what ends up happening is is that folks really um, uh, what you're going to see is that um, insurers in this kind of a scenario are really going to struggle to deliver all of the different kinds of um, services that need to be delivered. Um, they're also really going to struggle to um, to to compensate their agents and brokers. And unfortunately, one of the only ways that they have of of um, of 
um, solving that problem is to is to actually try to add cost to the product mm-hmm. so that the premium can be higher so that the percentage can be higher. And so um, and that's not something that 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 carriers want to do right now, um, mostly because what they have found in the past is that when they do try to um, to, for example, add benefits, um, enhance the product so that so that it covers more kinds of things. Um, they do find that there's there's pushback as far as what that what that means when the premiums go up, that it becomes less desirable, for example, for employers to keep that in their portfolio of benefits, because they're always really trying to balance, you know, the the uh, the benefits that they that they give to their employees to make sure that they're um, that it's appealing to come to work for them, but also so that they can really afford it. And so we, so our concern is, is that unlike medical insurance, which um, uh, certain employers are required to offer, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot less flexibility on the part of employers in a voluntary system. Um, there's a lot less ability for them to, to bear the burden of these increased premiums. Um, and another big difference between uh, dental and medical, as I as I think you're aware, is dental is much more focused on preventive services. Right. Um, preventive services in the dental realm work really well in in preventing downstream costs, um, and so they have a much more of a focus on prevention. Unlike medical, which has a more of a focus, it's more of a curative focus, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so much more expensive. Um, and so if you if you are really sort of being forced to add benefits that that go beyond, you know, the preventive and some of the basic services that people often need, you know, fillings, crowns, that sort of thing, um, you are going to be in a situation, especially in a voluntary market where um, where you're going to see a lot less people having access to dental insurance. Mm-hmm. Um um, or or having a desire to purchase it. And there are a lot of data and statistics out there that show that when people don't have dental insurance, they're far less likely to go to the dentist except in an emergency situation. So it's just the opposite of what, what we want to see happen. It's bad for consumers because they're not getting the preventive care. And it's bad for dentists because they're not getting, you know, people sitting in their seats. And so, so that's one of the reasons why we're so very concerned about this is because we think it will be very disruptive on the market because it will, the unintended consequences of increased cost and then decreased um, access to dental insurance and therefore dental services. Yeah, it seems to be doing the exact opposite of what the intent is. So uh, I guess we kind of touched on this a little bit, but um. I mean, can you explain a little bit of how the administrative costs and burdens are the same for medical and dental? Sure. So, for example, um, uh, in dental and medical, you have um, probably one of the key features of both is that you have dental networks. Mm -hmm. Dental networks allow um, insurers to basically... Um, negotiate discounts with dentists that they can then pass on to their consumers or to their um, customers in the form of lower premiums. And they also are able, because um, as a as often as a condition of um, participating in the network, which dentists 
um, usually appreciate because it, they do get more customers in, in in the door if the person you know has dental insurance and is part of a network. Um, they um, in turn will will actually give their customers discounts on other services and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you know that's one of the benefits of 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 the fact that dental does use networks in delivering care, much like medical does. You know, the the concern here in this conversation is that it really, you know, it is expensive to administer a dental network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you really you, you need to not only make sure that you're keeping up to date on, you know, what dentists are in your network and make sure that the customers have access to that information, which ones are taking new customers. But also um, it's really, really important in the network um, concept that you have strong systems in place to serve the dentist, you know, so that when the dentist has questions, when the dentist needs information about what what services will and won't be covered, that kind of thing, that they have access to dental service representatives that can actually help them with that. And again, it's um, it's much more effective to have those be human beings on the phone, sure. um, but it, that's also much more expensive. And so, you know, part of the problem with, with something like a dental loss ratio imposition is the insurer then has to find less expensive ways to deliver those services. And, um, you know, when you're talking about something like understanding insurance coverage, it's it's harder to do that through self-service. And so um, those are just, again, some of the unintended consequences. Wow. Well, it sounds like consumers have a higher cost. They're less likely to go to a dentist. It hurts dentists. So what... I, it's hard to find a, a good um, reason to move forward with this policy. I guess if the dental loss ratio was established in Illinois, how would the average consumer be affected? How would the market be affected? I know we touched a little bit on that, but a lot of our listeners are just average consumers. So how would this affect them? Well, so as we've said, um, probably the biggest impact that we'll see is, um, even though I think insurers will try really hard to not have to do this, mm-hmm. um, what you're probably going to eventually see is increases in premiums. Um, sure. You know, that I think they'll try to cut administrative costs more and more. Um, as I said, sometimes through methods that will make it may, might not make the service as efficient as it as it is now. Um, but in the end, uh, so for example, there's a, a an actuarial firm called Milliman mm-hmm. that's very well known in the in the medical field for their um, knowledge of healthcare um, financing and that sort of thing. And they have predicted in Massachusetts when the ballot initiative was was on the ballot there, they put out a study that showed that they predicted that premiums would increase around thirty eight percent. Which is for a low premium product like dental that that will be highly impactful, and it ends up starting kind of a cycle of people dropping coverage, and then you know you you end up seeing as we've seen in other types of insurance, where once you start losing people in the risk pools, premiums tend to even go up further and further. So so that's one of the major issues that they'll see is is that they'll see their their premiums go up. I think, as I said, they'll also probably see some some changes in service levels because of the restrictions around what can be spent on administrative costs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I will say that there is a perception or, or an argument that's made by the dental community who's promoting these um, these loss ratios that um, that there's a lot of profit being taken out of dental insurance, and and um, that is just not the case. Dental insurers actually run on on pretty um, tight margins. Mm-hmm. I think dental insurance is a very important product for. Um, for insurers to have in their portfolio, especially when they're presenting it to um, employers, because employers really want to include dental insurance in their portfolio, and um, and so it's so so dental is really one of those products that they they try to keep the premiums down, they try to keep the, the administration lean already because they really want to keep these products in their portfolio. And I will say that. Um, that's one of the reasons why we're so concerned about about these loss ratios is because it makes it a lot harder to do that. And then you see the impacts on the on the agents and brokers as well. It's like it's going to be hard for them to keep it in their portfolios too if they can't be compensated for for um, presenting these products to employers and individuals. Mm-hmm. And so, so you'll just see sort of like impacts in actually access to to the products themselves. Um, and so we just we, we see kind of a cascade of of um, bad effects from from the passage of these of these laws. Um, I will say that fortunately, aside from the ballot initiative, and as as I'm sure you know, ballot initiatives on complex insurance issues are very difficult to win. But aside from the ballot initiative in Massachusetts, uh, legislation to do the same thing, that to impose this ACA type um, loss ratio on dental has been introduced in 13 states this year. And it hasn't, it hasn't passed in that form in any of those states. Mm -hmm. It's either been stopped because legislators, when they actually hear all of the logic here, understand that this will be bad for my constituents. So I'm not going to do it. Or in a couple of states, we've been able to actually offer an alternative that we think really gets to the heart of the matter, which is allowing for transparency of of loss ratios, you know, what they are, how much they are for insurers, and then allows insurance regulators who are really the experts on on this to um to intervene if there are insurers out there that that have loss ratios that are really inexplicably out of line with with the with the average loss ratios um, across the market. So we have alternatives to talk about if if folks are really, really bound and determined to pass a loss ratio bill. And those alternatives really don't uh, have the unintended negative consequences of the loss ratio bill. And so we're always anxious to um, you know engage with policymakers to make sure they understand that there are other ideas out there. Absolutely. And I'm so happy you mentioned that Milliman report because I, I read that last week and 38%, whenever you think about it, you're like, that's not much of a number, but you're looking at, I think the, the example they gave is anywhere, say your dental insurance was $35. This is over $50 now that you're having to pay. And with everything else going up, that's really going to hit the consumer. And then you're not mm-hmm. dentist, which is going to create a like you said, downstream costs for both the consent, uh, consumer and insurer. So mm-hmm. um, it's just unfortunate, but I'm glad that there are opportunities out there to continue the discussion on this policy, because I know it's something that um, that's gaining traction and a lot of interest in, in, um, in Illinois. And I also know that there are a lot of unintended consequences of applying a blanket uh, one size fits all um, 
ratio to across products because products, as you've explained so wonderfully, are very different, very mm-hmm. different uh, and beneficial. So do you have any final remarks for us today, Cindy? Well, I think just to kind of reiterate that um, the dental community has, uh, the dental insurance community um, has always viewed dentists as sort of partners in delivering these products. And and, um, when the discussion turns to loss ratios, we do agree that transparency is really important. You know, it's really important that people understand, um, you know, what goes into the, the rate you know, and, and loss ratio is kind of like, uh, probably the simplest way that, that folks, uh, on the, um, you know, in the dental provider community, that's, they view that as sort of like a simple way for people to really understand what goes, you know, what goes into the the cost of, of insurance as, as we who work in the field know, and as the insurance regulators know, it's much more complicated than that, than that, um, loss ratio really is not, uh, uh, an indicator of value or or an indicator of, you know, what uh, the value of the product or what the person is going to get for that product. And so we are really um, interested in engaging in in conversations with the dentists and anyone else that that wants to have them about what are some ways to get to the, that that common goal of making sure that people really do understand what the value is of dental insurance and how it, how you can sort of preserve access to it. Um, and always, we're always talking about how, how do you make improvements? How do you make it work better for everybody? Um, we just don't think that loss ratio, um, um, gets us on the path to any kind of, um, um, positive changes in dental insurance. We think it really only will result in negative changes. And we don't think that that's anybody's goal. Right, right. So, Cindy, you've offered some invaluable information today to kind of parse through. Because like I said earlier in the podcast, the idea of it, the high level sky, it sounds great, right? But once you explain that these are very different products, these will impact these products extremely differently. And especially as a consumer, it'll have a detrimental effect. Um, this is all really important to know, especially as these conversations continue. Um, I just want to thank you for being on today. And is there any way if people are listening, they're like, I want to know more about this. How can um, our listeners get a hold of you? Well, so directly, if you want to get a hold of me, I would say send me an email. My email address is C-I-N-D-Y-G-O-F-F, all one word. <laughs> at acli.com. And I'm always happy, as you can tell, to talk about this and we'll talk people's ear off if they want. <laughs> um, and then also, um, if you go to the ACLI website, we, we do have um, a, a page, kind of a, a public policy page on dental issues. And that's um, that's acli.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, I'll make sure to include those in the show notes. And for the council, remember to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is IL underscore LHIC in order to stay up to date on all things life and health insurance. Also subscribe. The council covers it so you won't miss another episode like this. Lastly, check out our website at www.ilhic.com. Cindy, I hope now that we have explained all of this, you are smiling. 
<laughs> and we'll catch you next time on another episode of The Council Covers It. Thank you so much, Katie. And go Cubs. <laughs> Thanks. See ya. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe and rate the podcast in order to stay up to date on episodes as we explore various life and health insurance policies and topics in Illinois. We hope you join us again on The Council Covers It.